Section 4 of Historic Girls. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by T.K. Curvin. Historic Girls. Stories of Girls Who Have Influenced the History of Their Times by Eldridge Streeter Brooks. Pulcheria of Constantinople, the Girl of the Golden Horn, afterward known as Pulcheria Augusta, Empress of the East, A.D. 413. There was trouble and confusion in the imperial palace of Theodosius, the little emperor of the East. Now this Theodosius was called the little emperor because, though he bore the name of his mighty grandfather, Theodosius the Great, emperor of both the East and West, he has had yet done nothing worthy any other title than that of the little or the child. For Theodosius, emperor though he was called, was only a boy of twelve, and not a very bright boy at that. His father, Arcadius the emperor, and his mother, Eudoxia the empress, were dead. And in the great palace of Constantinople, in this year of grace, 413, Theodosius, the boy emperor, and his three sisters, Pulcheria, Marina, and Arcadia, uphold the tottering dignity and the empty name of the once mighty empire of the East, which their great ancestors, Constantine and Theodosius, had established and strengthened. And now there was confusion in the imperial palace, for word came in haste from the Dancian border that Ruas, king of the Huns, sweeping down from the east, was ravaging the lands along the upper Danube, and with his host of barbarous warriors, was defeating the legions and devastating the lands of the empire. The wise Anthemius, perfect of the east, and governor or guardian of the young emperor, was greatly disturbed by the tidings of this new invasion. Already he had repelled at great cost the first advance of these terrible Huns, and had quelled into a sort of half-submission the less ferocious followers of Olpin the Thracian. But now he knew that his armies along the Danube were in no condition to withstand the hordes of Huns, that, pouring in from distant Siberia, were following the lead of Ruas, their king, for plunder and booty, and were even now encamped scarce two hundred and fifty miles from the seven gates and the triple walls of splendid Constantinople. Turbaned Turks, mosques and minarets, muftis and cadis, veiled eastern ladies, Mohammedans and Muzans, Arabian knights and attar of roses, bazaars, dogs and donkeys, these, I suppose, are what Constantinople suggests whenever its name is mentioned to any girl or boy of today. The capital of modern Turkey, the city of the sublime port. But the greatest glory of Constantinople was away back in the early days before the time of Mohammed or of the Crusaders, when it was the center of the Christian religion, the chief and gorgeous capital of a Christian empire, and the residence of Christian emperors from the days of Constantine the Conqueror to those to the Justinian, the lawgiver of the Irene the Empress. It was the metropolis of the eastern half of the great Roman Empire, and during this period of over five hundred years all the wealth and treasure of the East poured into Constantinople, while all the glories of the empire, even the treasures of old Rome itself, 
were drawn upon to adorn and beautify this rival city by the golden horn and so in the days of theodosius the little the court of constantinople although troubled with fear of a barbarian invasion and attack glittered with all the gorgeousness and display of the most magnificent empire in the world in the great daphne or central space of the imperial palace the perfect anthemius with the young emperor the three princesses and their gorgeously arrayed nobles and attendants awaited one day the envoys of ruas the hun who sought lands and power within the limits of the empire they came at last great fierce-looking fellows not at all pleasant to contemplate big-boned broad-shouldered flat-nosed swarthy and small-eyed with cloaks of shaggy skins leathern armor wolf-crowned helmets and barbaric decorations and the royal children shrunk from them in terror even as they watched them with wondering curiosity imperial guards gleaming in the golden armor accompanied them while the envoys came also as escort a small retinue of hunnish spearmen and in the company of these the princess pulcheria noted a lad of ten or twelve years short swarthy big-headed and flat-nosed like his brother barbarians but with an air of open and hostile superiority that would not be moved even by all the glow and glitter of an imperial court then eslaw the chief of the envoys of king ruas the hun made known his master's demand so much land so much treasure so much in the way of concession and power over the lands along the danube or ruas the king would sweep down with his warriors and lay waste the cities and lands of the empire these be bold words said anthemius the perfect and what if our lord the emperor shall say thee nay but ere the chief of the envoys could reply the lad whose presence in the escort of the princess pulcheria had noted sprang into the circle before the throne brandishing his long spear in hot defiance dogs and children of dogs ye dare not say us nay he cried harshly except we be made the friends and allies of the emperor and are given full store of southern gold and treasure ruas the king overturn these your palaces and make you all captives and slaves it shall be war between you and us for ever thus saith my spear and as he spoke he dashed his long spear upon the floor until the mosaic pavement rang again boy emperor and princesses perfect and noble and imperial guards sprang to their feet as the spear clashed on the pavement and even the barbarian envoys while they smiled grimly at their young comrade's energy pulled him hastily back but here the perfect anthemius could sufficiently master his astonishment to reply the young princess pulcheria faced his savage envoys and pointing to the cause of the disturbance asked calmly who is this brawling boy and what doth he hear in the palace of the emperor and the boy made instant and defiant answer i am attila the son of munzuk kinsman to ruas the king and deadly foe to rome good anthemius said the clear calm voice of the unterrified girl were it not wise to tell this wild young prince from the northern forest that the great emperor hath gold for his friends but only iron for his foes tis ever better to be friend than foe bid 
I pray that the arras of the Hippodrome be parted, and let our guests see the might and power of our arms. With a look of pleased surprise at this bold stroke of the princess, the perfect clapped his hands in command, and the heavily brocaded curtain that screened the gilded columns parted as if by unseen hands, and the Hunnish envoys, with a gaze of stolid wonder, looked down upon the great hippodrome of Constantinople. It was a vast enclosure, spacious enough for the marshalling of an army. Around its side ran tiers of marble seats, and all about it rose gleaming statues of marble, of bronze, of silver, and of gold. Augustus and the emperors, gods and goddesses of the old pagan days, heroes of the eastern and western empires. The bright oriental sun streamed down upon it, and as the trumpet sounded from beneath the imperial balcony, there filled into the arena the glittering troops of the empire, gorgeous in color and appointments, with lofty crests and gleaming armor, with shimmering spear tips, prancing horses, towering elephants, and mighty engines of war and siege, with archers and spearmen, with sounding trumpets and swaying standards, and high over all, the purple laborum, woven in gold and jewels, the sacred banner of Constantine, marching and countermarching around and around and in and out, until it seemed well-nigh endless, the martial procession passed before the eyes of the northern barbarians, watchful of every moment, eager as children to witness this royal review. These are but as a handful of dust aim at the sands of the sea to the troops of the empire, said the perfect Anthemius, when the glittering rear guard had passed from the Hippodrome, and the princess Pulcheria added, And these, O men from the north, are to help and succor the friends of the great emperor, even as they are for the terror and destruction of his foes. Bid the messenger from Ruas the king consider, good Anthemius, whether it were not wiser for their master to be friend rather than the foe of the emperor. Ask him whether it would not be in keeping with his valor and his might to be made of the great captains of the empire with a yearly stipend of many pounds of gold as the recompense of the empire for his services and his love. Again, the perfect looked with pleasure and surprise upon this wise young girl of fifteen who had seen so shrewdly and so well the way to the hearts of these northern barbarians, to whom gold and warlike display were as meat and drink. You hear the words of this wise young maid, he said. Would it not please Ruas the king to be the friend of the emperor, a general of the empire, and the acceptor on each reoccurring season of the Circensian games? a full two hundred pounds of gold as recompense for services and friendship say rather three hundred pounds said isla the chief of the envoys and our master may perchance esteem it wise and fair nay it is not for the great emperor to chaffer with his friends said pulcheria the princess bid that the stipend be fixed at three hundred and fifty pounds of gold good Anthemius, and let our guests bear to Ruas the king pledges and tokens of the emperor's friendship. And bid to that they do leave yon barbarian boy at our court as hostage of their faith. 
demanded young Theodosius, the emperor, now speaking for the first time and making a most stupid blunder at a critical moment. For, with a sudden start of revengeful indignation, young Attila the Hun turned to the boy emperor. I will be no man's hostage, he cried. Freely, I came, freely I will go. Come down from thy bauble of a chair, and thou and I will try, even in your circus yonder, which is the better boy, and which should rightly be hostage for faith and promise given. How now? exclaimed the boy emperor, altogether unused to such uncourtier-like language. This to me? And the hasty young hun continued, I, this and more I tell thee, boy, that I were Ruas the king, the grass should never grow where the hooves on the warlike horse trod. Scythia should be mine, Persia should be mine, Rome should be mine, and look you, Sir Emperor, the time shall surely come when the king of the Huns shall be content not with paltry tribute and needless office, but with naught but Roman treasure and Roman slaves. But into this torrent of words came Pulcheria's calm voice again. Nay, good Attila, and nay, my brother and my lord, she said. Twere not between friends and allies to talk of tribute nor of slaves, nor yet of hostage. Freely didst thou come, and as freely shalt thou go, and let this pledge tell of friendship between Theodosius the emperor and Ruas the king. And with a step forward she flung her own broad chain of gold around the stout and swarthy neck of the defiant young Attila. So, through a girl's ready tact and quiet speech, was the terror of barbarian invasion averted. Ruas, the Hun, rested content for years with his annual salary of 350 pounds of gold, or over $70,000, and his title of General of the Empire, while not for twenty years did the hot-headed young Attila make good on his threat against the Roman Empire. Anthemius the Perfect, like the wise man he was, recognized the worth of the young princess Pulcheria. He saw how great was her influence over her brother the emperor, and noted with astonishment and pleasure her words of wisdom and her rare common sense. Rule thou in my place, O princess, he said, soon after this interview with the barbarian envoys. Thou alone, of all in this broad empire, art best fitted to take lead and direction in the duties of its governing. Pulcheria, though a wise young girl, was prudent and conscientious. Such high authority is not for a girl like me, good Anthemius, she replied. Rather let me shape the ways and the growth of the emperor, my brother, and teach him how best to maintain himself in a deportment befitting his high estate, so that he may be a wise and just ruler, but be thou bear sway for him until such time as he may take the guidance on himself. Nay, not so, princess, the old perfect said. She who can shape the ways of a boy may guide the will of an empire. Be thou then regent and Augusta, and rule this empire as becometh the daughter of Arcadius and the granddaughter of the great Theodosius. And as he desired, so it was decided. The Senate of the East decreed it, and in long procession, over flower-strewn pavements, and through gorgeously decorated streets, with the trumpets sounding their loudest, 
with swaying standards and rank upon rank of imperial troops, with great officers of the government and throngs of palace attendants, this young girl of sixteen, on the fourth day of July, in the year 414, proceeded to the church of the Holy Apostles, and was there publicly proclaimed Pulcheria Augusta, Regent of the East, solemnly accepting the trust as a sacred and patriotic duty. And now, many days after, before the high altar of this same church of the Holy Apostles, Pulcheria the Princess stood with her younger sisters Arcadia and Marina, and with all the impressive ceremonial of the Eastern Church, made a solemn vow to devote their lives to the keeping of their father's heritage and the assistance of their only brother, to forswear the world and all its allurements, never to marry, and to be in all things faithful and constant to each other in this their promise and their pledge. And they were faithful and constant. The story of those three determined young maidens, yet scarcely in their teens, reads almost like a page from Tennyson's beautiful poem, The Princess, with which many of my girl readers are doubtless familiar. The young regent and her sisters, with their train of attendant maidens, renounced the vanity of dress. Wearing only plain and simple robes, they spent their time in making garments for the poor and embroidered work for church decorations, and with song and prayer and frugal meals, interspersed with frequent fasts, they kept their vow to forswear the world, its allurements, in an altogether strict and monotonous manner. Of course, this style of living is no more to be recommended to healthy, hardy, fun-loving girls of fifteen than is its extreme of gaiety and indulgence. But it had its effect, and in those bad old days of dissipation and excess, and the simplicity and soberness of this wise young girl's life, in the very midst of so much power and luxury, made even the worst elements in the empire respect and honor her. It would be interesting, did space permit, to sketch at length some of the devisings and doings of this girl regent at sixteen. She superintended with extraordinary wisdom, says the old chronicler Sozman, the transactions of the Roman government, and afforded the spectacle, says Ozenam, a later historian, of a girlish princess of sixteen, granddaughter and sole inheritor of the genius and the courage of Theodosius the Great, governing the empires of the East and West, and being proclaimed on the death of her brother, Augusta, Imperiatrix, and mistress of the world. This last event, the death of Theodosius the Younger, occurred in the year 449, and Pulcheria ascended the golden throne of Constantinople, the first woman that ever ruled as sole empress of the Roman world. She died July 18, 453. That same year saw the death of her youthful acquaintance, Attila the Hun, that fierce barbarian who men had called the scourge of gold, his mighty empire stretched from the great wall of China to the western Alps. But though he ravaged the lands of both eastern and western Rome, he seems to have been so managed or controlled by the wise and peaceful measures of the girl regent that his destroying hordes never troubled the splendid city of the Golden Horn, which offered so rare and tempting a booty. 
It is not given to the girls of today to have anything like the magnificent opportunities of the young Pulcheria, but duty in many a form faces them again and again, while not unfrequently the occasion comes from sacrifice of comfort or for devotion to a trust. To all such the example of this fair young princess of old Constantinople, who, fifteen centuries ago, saw her duty plainly, and undertook it simply and without hesitation, comes to strengthen and incite. And the girl who feels herself overwhelmed by responsibility, or who is fearful of her own untried powers, may gather strength, courage, wisdom, and will from the story of this historic girl of the long ago, the wise young regent of the East, Pulcheria of Constantinople. End of section 4